This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org and join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Oh, what a great, great king we serve. Take your Bibles out. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. How many are ready to dig into the word of God today? I am excited about what God has. While you're turning, uh, there's Faith Connections books out in the foyer. If you're not involved in the life group, pick one of these up on your way out. Tell you about all the groups in your neighborhood, what they're doing, where they're meeting, what study they're being encountering and going through. And so you'll want to pick that up and figure out where you want to begin going this way. And also, for you that want to join the church, we just started our first membership class last week. Not too late to get in tonight. You can come tonight. I'll be teaching this evening, and you can learn more about what's going on at Faith Assembly of God. We are talking about, are going to be talking about, actually this is the very first service in a new series that I feel that God has laid on my heart. Last time, last series was about encountering God. How many know that when we come together, we've come to encounter the presence of the living God? Not to play games, not to play church, not because it's the thing to do, but we want to meet with God. And we want to meet with God not only on Sunday mornings at Bethel, but El Bethel goes with us wherever we go because now my life is the house of the living God. So I can encounter him in the morning in my bedroom, I can encounter him at night. I can encounter him in the prayer closet. I can encounter him on the back porch. I can encounter him driving down the road. And it's pretty phenomenal that Christ is always, always with us. It's one of the major purposes of faith assembly of God, that we come together and we encounter him. Another purpose, another reason that God has raised up this church is to equip believers to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, he gave gifts to the church to train us and equip us. And so that what happens is we come out of this, you'll be strong, good soldiers of the faith. We're not just to come and to sit and fill a pew and feel good about ourselves. We need to be trained for battle because we're in a warfare, we're in a fight, we're fighting for the souls of men and women. And it's important that we come to this place and we leave with the greater knowledge of who God is and who we are and what our mission is and what our assignment is. And so we want to equip you to be more effective ministers at your workplace and wherever you may be. Let's all stand together. Everybody give me a good hoorah. Hoorah! That a little weak. I don't know if you'd scare anybody. One more time. Hoorah! That's better. Let's get ready to fight. Turn to 1 Timothy, not each other, but the enemy. 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I urged you when I was with you and when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. 
from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Father, I pray that as we open up your word, you'll open up our hearts, our minds, our understanding today. God, help us to be grounded and built upon the only foundation that can be laid, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Sound doctrine based upon the grace of Almighty God. I pray for every warrior, every soldier here this morning that you will further equip us and train us for battle. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There was an advertisement that was put out in the London newspaper. And it read something like this. Men wanted for a hazardous journey. Small wages. Bitter cold. Long months of complete darkness. Constant danger. Safe return doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. Now, after that advertisement run in the London newspaper, thousands responded to that advertisement because it was signed by the Arctic explorer, Sir Ernest Shackleton. You see, that's what made the difference. It was the signature at the bottom of the wanted ad. Now, can you imagine if Jesus Christ is putting out his own wanted ad for soldiers, for recruits, for his battle, for his warfare that he calls us to? It might read something like this. Men and women wanted difficult task, helping to build my church. You will often be misunderstood, even by those working with you. You will face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You may not see the results of your labor and your full reward will not come until the work is completed. It may cost you your home, your ambition, even your life. And yet millions have signed up to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? It's because the signature at the bottom, when you have a commander in chief, when you have a good master like the Lord Jesus Christ, we're ready to sign on the dotted line. Yes, God, whatever it costs, whatever it takes, I'm going to follow you. Timothy responded to the call of God to help build the church in Ephesus. He is called Paul's faithful, beloved son in the faith. Timothy's mother was a Jewish. His, uh, her, his father was a Greek. And so there was kind of a mixed parentage going on. And so actually Paul becomes the spiritual father for Timothy. The absence of his own spiritual leadership of his own father. He was later added to Paul's missionary staff and would travel with him on some of his missionary journeys. And yet as you look at the apostle Paul and you look at Timothy, they had very different temperaments. Paul was bold, he was daring, he was an adventurer, he, he, was, he was out front, he was a leader. Timothy, on the other hand, as you look at the word of God, was most likely shy. 
reserved, probably had more of kind of a helper ministry or a second person ministry. And now he's put in the position of being the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus wasn't the the greatest place to be assigned a pastorate. It was a very difficult place to be in. Ephesus was a city that was devoted to the worship of the goddess Diana. And so you had this very sensual goddess right in the middle of Ephesus. I had the privilege of going there and seeing the statues and seeing the baths they had there and the, 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 uh, just, just the rubble that was still left on the ground, yet you could see their temples and what was left of that. And very unique place. Diana was the patroness of sexual instinct. And so sexual immorality ran amok in the city of Ephesus. And then can you imagine the the responsibility of following the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul had been in the regions for some three years. And his, his influence was so great, it was said of him, all which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine being a pastor having to follow Paul? And so that's kind of working against him. And, 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 and yet, whenever there are spiritual opportunities, how many know the adversary is going to be right there to fight you every step of the way? So Paul writes these letters, First and Second Timothy, to encourage his beloved son in the faith. And the message is this, Timothy, don't give up. Hang in there. Be a good soldier. Run the race. Don't, don't stop. Don't quit until you cross the finish line. Be a good, faithful soldier. And I want to begin a series on First and Second Timothy because I believe God wants us to be good, faithful soldiers. Let's look at it. First of all, to be a good soldier, and you can follow along in your outlines on the back. If you're going to be a good soldier, you've got to know your calling. Know your calling. Look at the first two verses again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. First of all, Paul calls himself an apostle. An apostle literally meant one who is sent on a mission. And so the apostle Paul sees himself as somebody who has been given a divine mission by God. He's been sent by the command of the Lord. Paul never forgot for a single moment that he was a man under divine orders. Listen, when you sign on, when you say, God, I give my heart and my life to you, you immediately sign into a mission that is greater than yourself. It's not about you, your comfort, or your pleasure, but God has a commission for every one of us to make disciples of everybody. And so when you say, Jesus, come into my heart, Come into my life. When you are called by God, you are called to ministry and service. Those who were giving Timothy trouble needed to remember that their pastor Timothy was placed there under the leadership of Paul the Apostle, uh, who was given his authority by God. So in other words, both Paul and Timothy were sent by the King of Kings uh, and Lord of Lords. Uh, They were there on divine assignment, divine calling. Great commission. Have you ever heard the expression, just wait till the honeymoon is over? Wait till the honeymoon is over. Now, let me tell you, that's quote for saying, uh, or, uh, no, quote, that's a wrong word. Blame it on jet lag. All morning I get to use that excuse when I mess up, jet lag. 
Wait till the honeymoon is over. It is a a destructive myth about marriage that assumes that once the honeymoon period is over, you go to a mundane, dull, boring life of monotony and marriage and routine. How many know that marriage should get better and better every day? More exciting every day? And yet we still kind of toss those words around very flippantly, wait till the honeymoon is over. When a pastor comes and assumes a new church or a new pastor, it's some people, other pastors who try to encourage them say, you just wait till the honeymoon is over. Because about the first six months, everybody's real nice to you. They're loving you. They're patting you on the back. They're saying, great job. We're glad you're here. And then after about six months, they all start scattering and finding other little flocks to filter into. Wait till the honeymoon is over. And I think the saddest thing is when we begin on a spiritual journey, when we give our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and we get up from that altar and there's such zeal and such excitement. I found Jesus. My sins are gone. The load of guilt's been lifted. And now I'm called on this mission, this great assignment. And yet some will tell you, you just wait a while. You'll get back to normal. You're just on a spiritual high right now. You're just feeling real good. But wait till the honeymoon is over and things will get back to a routine monotony i want to tell you don't ever settle for the mundane and routine in your christian life it never has to be wait till the honeymoon is over but i should get better and better and stronger and stronger as we get deeper in the lord jesus christ and it's only going to come as we are attached to that divine call of god that i realize my call i realize what what my conversion and what it means. And and I'm sustained by keeping touch with God's love and God's calling in my life. Uh, After three decades of ministry, the apostle Paul is still burning with zeal as he writes his beloved son in the faith. It never, ever gets old. There's no need to lose that sense of awe and wonder about who God is and what our calling is. Uh, But we've got to stay close to the call. Remember that God loved you by his grace and called you by his grace and set you apart by his grace and leads you by his grace. And it ought to get more and more exciting as we walk with him. So if you're going to be a good, faithful soldier, remember your calling. Second, if you're going to be a good faithful soldier you need to know your gospel look at verse number 11 according to the glorious gospel of the blessed god which was committed to my trust know the gospel message tumbleweed if you've been out west you'll see it often being blown by the wind across those big plains out there and, and, and yet it's a living plant, it's a plant, and the reason it's blown about and rolls all around, the reason it's called tumbleweed is because that particular plant only puts one root down into the ground. And that root is down into the ground, and that root, by its very nature, is very, very shallow. So the tumbleweed is very easily uprooted when the wind blows, and it begins bouncing all over the place, and so wherever the wind pushes the tumbleweed is where the tumbleweed is going to go on the other hand you take a giant sequoia tree and it has lots of very very deep roots that go deep into the ground and so when the strong winds come and blow against that giant sequoia it stands firm now i want to ask you a question church listen to me is your faith more like a tumbleweed or a sequoia 
It all depends on how deep your roots go down into the soil. And so when the winds of adversity come, uh, when the winds of life blow against you, when suffering or tragedy or heartache or pain comes your way, are you going to be blown about uh, when the breezes of busyness come your way and they get your mind and distract you from the main thing? Uh, are you going to be like a tumbleweed or a giant sequoia? Will you be uprooted? But if your roots go deep, you will remain strong no matter what comes your way in life. And you can face uncertainty with courage because my roots are deep in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is. My roots have to go deep into the word of God. Paul says, know your gospel. Know the message. It's been entrusted into you. And if you'll know that, then you can remain a good soldier. Know the word. Get it into your heart and into your life. Paul's letters to Timothy show us how to deepen our life with God. And if one of the roots that's got to go down very deep, that big tap root, is accurate belief system. And if your belief system is messed up, it'll mess everything up else up in your life. You've got to have accurate beliefs. You see, there was a danger in Ephesus of false doctrines creeping up. False teachers were trying to lead astray the Ephesian believers. And so Paul writes, Timothy, I give you this charge, preach sound doctrine, uh, lead the people, uh, take them into the gospel, don't let them be led astray by fables and endless genealogies and all the other things that are going to be thrown at them. Make sure that root goes deep into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number three. Paul uses military language. When he talks to his son in the faith, he says in verse 3, As I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge. The word charge carries the idea of giving strict orders from a superior officer. I give you a charge, and you'll see it a few other times in the book of Ephesians as well. That, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Paul had committed this truth to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy that he was to pass on to the Ephesian church. It was his responsibility to guard the faith and pass it on to faithful people. I want to tell you, false doctrine is alive and well today. It's not something that just the Apostle Paul encountered or Timothy encountered in their spiritual journey, in their teachings, in their preachings. Uh, But false doctrine is very much alive and well in America today. And I charge you to teach sound doctrine. Guard the faith. Sheila was a California nurse. She was interviewed by the authors of a book called Habits of the Heart. And she was called to report on her own personal beliefs. This is what she had to say in reply. I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It is Sheilism. Just my own little voice. You see, Sheilism is common of many Americans today. It's kind of like my own little voice. I believe in God, but I believe in my own way. And I want to follow my own way. And I want to do my own thing. 
And I don't really want to go to church because I have my own shealism going on. I have my own practice, my own belief. It's my own faith. And I don't want anybody telling me what to do or how to believe. Paul urges Timothy, don't leave Ephesus. Stay there. Guard the good news of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Guard the good news of the gospel. Ephesus, the city that Timothy was pastoring at, was a prominent cultural center. It was a Roman uh, province, a Roman area. There were people of many races and creeds and religious backgrounds going through that city. It was a cosmopolitan city. And part of the philosophy of the Roman government was this. It was syncretism, which meant all gods were okay. If you want to worship idols, that's okay. You want to worship God, that's okay. You want to worship Jesus, that's okay. Uh, You don't want to worship anything, that's okay. Just as long as you keep the Roman law. The Romans would let you believe what you want to believe just so you followed Roman law. And so the expression came up, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So as long as you're around Roman government, Roman law, follow the laws of the land, but believe whatever you want. So Roman law provided order as far as the legal system went, but spiritually, Ephesus is a complicated and confusing place. And there's all kind of mythology coming in through there. Idol worship, Diana, the the new Christians coming along, uh, Judaizers talking about keeping the law and the observance of the law, and there's all kinds of this mix going on in the city of Ephesus. And there were those in Ephesus who were weaving so-called Traditions of knowledge and mythology into scripture, and I read it to you earlier. Beware of those who talk about fables and endless genealogies and try to mix mythology in with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and then some were going to another extreme and saying, you know what? To be a Christian, you got to keep all the laws. You got to be circumcised, follow the dietary laws, and then you can be saved. So they're literally adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem is, those teachings are diametrically opposed to the gospel of Jesus. Because God says in his word, we are saved by grace through faith. Say that with me. We are saved by grace through faith. Say it again. We are saved by grace through faith. Apart from works, lest anyone should boast. We should never ever drift away from this basic fundamental truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, as a result of those drifting away, many have already shipwrecked their faith because they have left the gospel of God's grace. Look at verse number eight. He says there, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Now, God's commandments, God's law is like a medicine prescribed by a doctor. But how many know if you take that medicine and you abuse it, that medicine that was meant to heal you and bring life can make you sick and even kill you if you abuse those medicines? And Paul says to Timothy, hey, the law is good. There's no problem with God's law. But if you don't use it in the right way, if you use it to be judgmental, if you use it to promote legalism apart from the grace of God, if you use it in the wrong way, it'll kill you. And so he says, the law is okay if you use it right. The law is good. This law is good for pointing out sin. The law tells me I can't save myself. The law tells me I am a lousy 
no good sinner. And there is no good that lies within me. And there is none righteous in themselves. And I cannot save myself. God never intended his law to cleanse our sins or take them away. The law shows me I'm a sinner, but the law drives me to the Lord Jesus Christ. It drives me to the gospel of God's grace. It drives me to the only thing that can save me, and that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The law, it's good if it's used in the right way. You see, sometimes our flesh or this old nature kind of likes legalism. We like laws and regulations because they make us appear holy without ever having to change our hearts. So if I go to church and I tithe and I do the right things and I keep, and I'm a pretty nice guy, then somehow because I'm okay, God's going to save me. He's going to take me because I'm a good, moral, wonderful person. And they think that's, that's really all there is. And so we like those rules and regulations. And I appear holy on the outside, but my heart never, ever changes. You are no better than the Pharisees and Sadducees who on the outside are whitewashed tombs, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones. There's got to be a regeneration of the heart. There's got to be a time when I say, God, I'm no good. I need you to cleanse me and save me. The law cannot save the lost sinner. It only reveals his need for a savior. Legalism or a strict adherence to the law apart from Christ brings death. The letter of the law killeth. The spirit brings life. And inevitably what happens is when you are into legalism, it fosters pride and a judgmental spirit to everybody else around you. Because the law becomes our new measuring stick. We say, you what, I'm better than that guy, so I must be okay. And so somehow it leads to pride and judgmentalism. Paul says to Timothy, the gospel of grace produces love. Produces love. And, and now, am I saying, Pastor, are you saying, Pastor, I don't have to keep the law? Here's the difference. Keeping the law is always a response to God's love. It's not a way to earn God's love. Because if I'm earning God's love, if I'm keeping the law to show I'm better than everybody else, it fosters pride. But if I keep the law in response to God's love, it's out of gratitude. And you say, I only live and I move by the grace of God. And there is a difference. Look at verse number four. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is by faith. Now, Paul is telling Timothy, listen, guard the gospel of Christ because if false teachings come into the church, it will divide the church. There's nothing more devastating than to have legalism, false teaching, genealogies, myth added into the gospel of Christ. It's like a cancer. It starts small and then it grows. It's like a fire. It creates disputes and havoc in the church. And he says false doctrines creates discord The gospel produces love. Look at verse number five, the power of the gospel. Now the purpose of the commandment is love. The law was never meant to divide the body of Christ. It's to lead us to Christ who is love. And the purpose of God's commandment 
The bottom line is there's two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets are contained in these two commandments. And he says when that false doctrine comes in, pride comes in, arrogance comes in, legalism comes in, and and it fosters disputes instead of love. Now the purpose of the commandment is love. And he says from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Pure heart. It means my motives are absolutely pure and unmixed. It means not that my heart has never been dirty because I have sinned again and again and again, but it is a heart that is continually cleansed by the blood and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pure heart. And then he says, out of a good conscience. That's that moral sensitivity that shows us the difference between right and wrong. Now, to have a good conscience, our conscience has to be lined up with the will of God. And so it's lining up with his standards of right and wrong, not my own shieldism of what is right and wrong. A good conscience comes not from being perfect, but a good conscience means there's nothing in my life I keep hidden from God. It's confessed. It's brought out in the open. I say, God, I need you. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. And that produces a good conscience. And last, a sincere faith. That's that authentic trust in God, not religious showboating. A sincere, honest faith, genuine faith. Now, helping you have accurate beliefs, helping you find The strength of the gospel is what this church is about. This is what we are going to be embarking on over the next eight, ten weeks. I don't know how many weeks it's going to take me to get through 1 and 2 Timothy. But this is where we're heading. This is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be teaching doctrine and beliefs and faiths and equipping you to be effective ministers. And you can't be an effective minister unless you have the right kind of root system. And so, first of all, you've got to know what my calling is in Christ Jesus. And number two, you've got to have an accurate set of beliefs. So you'll be grounded and rooted like those giant sequoias that won't be blown about. And our hope and prayer is that as you come every Sunday, you will find more and more accurate beliefs about God, about yourself, and about the world around us. And it will make us more effective ministers. And then we'll put down those deep roots that go into the heart of God himself. I want to close with a story about a theologian. His name was Emory Bancroft, and he told the story. It goes like this. Some years ago, there was a parliament of the world religions, and they ran this world religion parliament in Chicago at the same time Chicago was hosting at that time the World Fair. And so all these people were coming from all the nations, and they wanted to hold a kind of a cabinet for religions. And they had all the great faiths or all the faiths of the world represented up there, all the major faiths, all the major belief systems. And so one by one, they would have someone stand up and give their basis for their beliefs. And so they had a Buddhist man stand up and he'd explain Buddhism and talked about that. They had someone from Confucianism and someone from Hinduism, someone from Islam, and one by one they begin to give their diatribes on what they believed. Dr. Joseph Cook was the one who represented Christianity. 
And he stood up and he made a quotation from the play Macbeth. And I want you to hear it. Here is Lady Macbeth's hand, stained with the murder of Duncan. For her, as she preambulates throughout the halls and corridors of the palatial home, stopping to cry, oh, cursed spot, out, I say, out, cursed spot, will these hands never be clean. And then he looked around, looked at those who proposed Buddhism and Hinduism and Muslim. He asked this question, can any of you who are so anxious to propagate your religious system share how Macbeth can have her dirty hands And a silence fell over the rest of those who were seated there. Let me tell you something. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, only the blood of Jesus Christ can purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Every other religion falls short. No other religion has the answer for your sins. The only religion that has the answer for your sins is the blood and sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that blood is powerful today to save and cleanse you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as our musicians are coming. Steve, play nothing but the blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing, nothing but the blood. Father, right now, I pray for each person in this place today. I thank you, God, that you love us so very, very much you gave your life for us. Thank you that your Holy Spirit's present this morning to draw men and women to you. I pray for anybody in here today who may not know you as Lord and Savior. Before they leave this place, they'll discover the greatest key to everlasting life. They'll discover forgiveness of sin and cleansing. You will come into their heart and life. I ask it in Jesus' name. Every head is bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.